0: Weeks, we talked about four hundred plants we had to put on that hillside. We about twenty-five people that came out yesterday, touched down, two hours. Two hours, four hundred bushes planted. If you were here yesterday, part of that crowd, raise your hand. Give the there's some of these people right, give them a right, get man. These guys were animals. They were just animals. I mean, it was incredible. So thank you so much. Well, take out your message outline this morning. And when you do, I want you to put at the top or on the side, 1 through 8. 1 through 8. I got a game for you this morning. Got a game for you. So you're going to be guessing something. This game is called, Will It Float? Will it float? I'm gonna show you eight objects and then we're gonna see if they will float in this tub of water or not. Okay, so one three. So when you get your answer ready, you're just gonna put either by number one yes, no, whatever that you know, keep score type of thing. Here we go. All right, here we go. First item. This is a can of chicken noodle soup. Will it float? Will it float? Write down your answer very quickly. Here we go. Oh no, don't give your answer away. Here we go. Will it float? Ready? Got your answer down. Will it float? No, it won't float. All right. Got a bottle of wood glue, wood glue, Elmer's wood glue. Yes or no? Will it float? Will it float? Here we go, here we go. Floats. All right, that one floats. Good, here we go. All right, got a pen, got a pen. Will a fountain pen float? Write down, yes or no? Here we go. No, that pen doesn't float. Got another pen. Will this pen float? Yes or no? Yes or no? Write down your answer. Here we go. If you wrote down yes, you should have learned from the first one. It doesn't float. Okay, here we go. This is a can of star, Star Kiss. Chunk light tuna in water. It's a fish. Will it float? Will it float? Here we go. No, it does not do that. All right, here we go. Got an egg. Got an egg. Will it float? Yes or no? Write it down. Here we go. Egg, will it float? Yes or no? No, you didn't ask me if it was hard boiled or not. It doesn't float. No. All right, here we go. This is a can of Italian zesty dressing. Will it float? Here we go it floats. Yeah, see the head bobbing there? It floats. All right, don't tell Valerie, but I stole this from our workroom. This is a jar, uh, a little thing, a fingertip moisturizer. Will it float? Here we go, here we go. It floats. All right, let's see who won. Eight items, add up your answers. How many missed just one? Look at you guys, which one did you miss? The first one, chicken noodle soup. Chris, which one did you miss? <laughs> Somebody check his answers. That's not okay. Anybody else just miss one? Who just missed one? What would you guys miss over here? The egg. the egg? Ah, gotcha. Yeah, okay. Do not tell the third service about that. Okay, here we go on that. Well, what is the purpose behind all of that? Absolutely nothing. David Letterman did it. I thought we could do it too. No, no. There's a reason. There's a reason behind this. Why do we do this? Because, folks, nobody does well in marriage, in their job, in relationships, psychologically, or life in general if you are not buoyant. If you can't float, so to speak. Here's the first fill in the blank on your message outline. You see, in life, everybody gets down. Here's the fill in the blank. Getting down is a part of life. Getting down is a part of life. But staying down is what will kill you. If you meet anybody, if a Christ follower who says, oh, I never get discouraged, they're not being truthful with you. Because every one of us get discouraged at one time or another. It may not last long, but we all have down moments in our life. Some of you may be right there today. You may be saying, I'm having kind of one of those times right now. Here's the deal. If you stay down, if you stay down, your education doesn't matter. Your theology, what you believe about God, doesn't matter. Your skill level, whatever that may be, doesn't matter. Your finances don't matter because if you get down and you stay down, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to drown in life. You're going to drown in life. The next feeling goes like this. The only thing that will keep you from going under is hope. And we're on a series of messages titled The HQ Quotient, The Hope Quotient. We have seen that hope is something that can actually be learned And there are seven factors that we are looking at that, when combined, will increase your hope in your life, which all of us need. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first of those seven factors. We looked at recharging our batteries. Last week, we looked at raising our expectations. Today, we look at the third factor in the hope quotient, and it is refocusing on the future refocusing on the future. And by the way, if you missed any of those other two messages, you want to go back and read or, or listen to those, you can go to our website and do that. You can download the message outline, the whole nine yards. Would you agree that today more than ever, do you see people just doing some bizarre, crazy things? Yeah. I mean, you just look and go like, whoa, wow. Some of those things I look at and I don't, they're crazy. I go like, you're just stupid. I mean, who would do that type of thing, you know? All right. well, I grew up in the rural South, if you couldn't tell. And my family had a cabin on a lake. Some of you are laughing now about that. I Grew up on a, had a cabin on the lake, and we would, had a, had a motorboat and all that kind of stuff. So I learned to ski at a very early age and skied all my life. But there are some people that do this, they ski like this. And this is not something new. These people have been doing this for years. They ski without skis. They ski barefooted. You go, like, no way, way. Yeah. I mean, it is crazy. Check out this clip. Here's some people skiing barefooted and tell me what you think. Now, anybody here do that? Good, because they're stupid. Okay, that's just, it's just crazy. Who would do that type of thing? But did you notice the ones who were going forward, you know, they were going a little bit, when they always were trying to turn around and, go, and do the back thing, just bow type of a thing on that. Here's the fill in the blank for you. Here's what we can learn from that. Nobody ever goes forward well when you're looking back. Nobody ever goes forward well when you are looking back. Maybe that's one reason why the great missionary Paul, writing a letter to a group of Christians in the ancient city of Philippi, wrote these words. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Nobody ever. Ever goes forward well when you are looking back. Today, this morning, we're going to look at a question that I absolutely believe can change your life and it can change my life. If you have teenagers at home, this is the primary question that you should be asking of every teenager. If you are here today and you are discouraged in your marriage, you need to ask this question. If you are discouraged about your life, yourself, you need to ask this question. If you want to change your life, if you want to get out of debt, if you want to be healthier, if you want to lose weight, you need to ask yourself this question. Because it can get you out of discouragement. It can transform your mood. It can turn around your company. It can turn around our church. It can turn around your family. If you believe, in fact, I believe that this question was in the uppermost mind of Jesus Christ every time he would interact with his disciples. Notice the next section on your outline. I had question of the day. This is not the question of the day. I struck through that. No, folks, this is the question of your life. This is a game changer, and here it is. Are you ready? The question that I believe can change your life, can change my life. The key question, and it's more than a question. It must become a a frame of reference for how you and I look at everything. Here's the question. What can this become? What can this become? And we learn this from the life of Jesus who looked at some very young inexperienced men and he made an astounding astounding statement about them. This is found in Mark chapter 1 verse 17. The Bible's divided into two parts. Old Testament tells the history of the Jewish people the very beginnings of that type of thing. The New Testament portion tells the story of Jesus and the beginning of the early Christian church. This is found in the New Testament. This is something that Jesus said, recorded by Mark. And Jesus said to them, to these young, these 12 guys, he was calling to be with him. We refer to them as the 12 disciples. Here's what he said. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. I want you to circle that word, become. It is the key word. None of the 12 disciples that Jesus chose were first round draft picks, folks. They were far, far from it. They were a mess. Peter always had it stuck his foot in his mouth. Thomas, every plan that came along, he met it with, I doubt it, type of a deal on that. James and his brother John, two you know real close disciples, they were, their nicknames were sons of thunder. Just imagine what that might refer to. I have no idea. Matthew was a selfish tax collector. As a group, the disciples were always arguing about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to be number one in the pecking order type of a thing. So what on earth made Jesus so effective? What on earth made Jesus the most single magnetic leader in the history of our world? Why could he liberate people from their past and free them to become something they never, ever in their wildest minds ever dreamed of? Here it is. Look at what Jesus did. Jesus was not focused on what people were like. He was focused on what they could become. He was not focused on what they were like. He was focused on what they could become. If you're a parent of a teenager right now, if you focus on what your teenager is like right now, you may be discouraged. Because maybe there's things that you see in their lives, you say, this needs to change. (laughs) You need to focus on what they can become. And if you and I can do that, anything suddenly becomes possible. If you're focusing right now on your marriage, what it is right now, there's a strong chance you could be discouraged. You need to focus on what could it be become. If you're frustrated in your own spiritual life, your own walk with Jesus, if you're just focusing on what it is now, you can be discouraged. But if you begin to focus on what it can be, it can be a game changer. That principle just is true across the board. You see, everything changes when you and I ask the question, what can it become? Not just looking at the way things are now, but what can it become? And Jesus said to these 12 men who were beginning to follow him, if you follow me, you will become you will become fishers of men. And by following through on that, he did just that. It changed everything, and it changed our world. It changed our world. Many of you are familiar with Robert Schuller. He's passed away now, but he's the founder of the Crystal Cathedral up in Orange County. He said these words, and it's kind of at the heart of what we're talking about. Anyone can count the seeds in an apple. But only God can count the number of apples in a seed. That's not looking at what is. That's looking at what can become. And that's exactly what we're talking about this morning. The fill-in goes like this. When you stop looking at the way things are and instead start to see them for what they become, everything changes. Everything has the potential to change. Next fill in. When you focus on what something can become, here's what happens to you. You become alive. It breathes new life into you. I told you several weeks ago that I love doing yard work. I love doing yard work. Friday, my off day, I spent nine hours doing yard work. And probably would have spent more time if I didn't run out of daylight. And I loved it. I loved it. And it wasn't even my house. It's a rental house. The house that Janie and I bought when we moved here. We saw the house being built. It's behind Benita Vista High School. It's where our kids grew up in that home. We lived in it for 18 years, and we bought a house just two minutes away from here. And so that's a rental house now. And it, the reason we bought that house was the backyard. This isn't a master plan community, but it has the big, one of the biggest backyards you'll see. It's on a third of an acre in a master plan community. It's a huge backyard. Loved that backyard. And that backyard was beautiful. Loved working the yard. 18 rose bushes along one fence. Ice plant, green, luscious ice plant on the back hill, on the side hill. Fescue grass all over green. I could just see our kids playing on that type of thing, and they did for years. And now it's a rental. And two renters ago, I did something very foolish, very stupid. I got lazy. And I said, you know what? I'll cut your rent a little bit if you'll just take care of the yard. Big mistake. When I got that yard back two years later, it was totally destroyed. Only about three or four of the rose bushes were even alive. The water system had cracked in multiple places. He didn't water. They didn't water for months. They took out all the ice plant. Just took it out. The backyard, the only thing growing were weeds, and some of them were about that tall. Look, a hayfield of weeds. And Chris and I, I, my son, we started working on that backyard. Because you see, here's what I saw. I saw all of that, but you know what I saw? I saw those roses growing. I saw that apple, that red apple ice plant blooming on that hillside. I saw those fruit trees in the back bearing fruit. I saw that big green carpet of grass. In two years, we've been working on it. Both fences have been replaced, put in new ice plant, replanted all those roses. I'm on my second time of reseeding that lawn to make that lawn come back. And it's coming back. But you see, why did I put all that time into that? Because I could see what it could become. And that fueled me, that energized me to get out there and work at it. You see, that's the power of seeing what not is, but what it could become. But here's the thing can we see it in people? Can we see it in people's lives? Not what they are, but what they can, what they can indeed become. Most of you, in fact, if anybody knows this person, I'll be shocked. I I couldn't even identify the picture of him. I know the name. This is Howard Hendricks. Uh, He's a seminary professor for 50 years. He taught at Dallas Theological Seminary. He taught some of the greatest communicators in the Christian world today. People like David Jeremiah over at Shadow Mountain. Chuck Swindoll, many of you know that. Tony Evans. These are people that he taught at, at that school for over 50 years. He passed away in 2013, but what a legacy that he made in his life the influence. He was a man who could see what, not what is, but what, what could become in people's lives and encourage them along that way. But that's not kind of how it all started for him. After he was born, shortly after he was born, his mom and dad split. He was raised by his grandmother and he had a very troubled upbringing, if you would, would say on that. He described himself when he was in the fifth grade. <laughs> this is a, he's, as an elementary school. Here's how he describes himself. I was a troublemaker and a hellraiser. And he's only in the fifth grade. Come on now. Type of thing on that his fifth grade teacher once, this is true and the teachers. Don't you wish you could do this today? Don't answer that question. She literally tied him to a chair taped his mouth shut That's old school right there She predicted and she called him she said he was the worst behaved child in the entire school And she predicted that he would wind up in prison along with four of his classmates Three of the four actually made it, all right? (laughs) Howard Hendricks wasn't one of them on that. When the next school year began, sixth grade began, his sixth grade teacher, a lady by the name of Miss No, she was going down the roster roll and she was reading each student's name, and she got to his name, and she read his name out loud. And she looked up at him and looked at him, and he was just sitting there with his defiant look with his arms just crossed, just like, bring it on, teach, bring it on, I'm ready for another year. And then she said this, I've heard a lot about you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you have. And I don't believe a word of it. In his own words, here's what he said. Those words stunned me. He said that for the first time, Miss Noel, somebody, had made him realize that someone cared. He called that, and I quote, a fundamental turning point, not only in my education, but in my life. Suddenly, unexpectedly, someone believed in me. For the first time in my life, someone saw potential in me. And in the previous year, he would skip his school assignments. He wouldn't do those types of things. But now he would stay up to one in the morning completing special assignments for Miss No. His fifth grade year had been the worst year of his life. His sixth grade year was the best year of his life because Miss No called out Howard for what he could become. And in future years he invested his life in thousands and thousands of men and women going through Dallas Theological Seminary, trying to help them see what they could become. On your message outline, look at this Bible verse, look at this reference verse. What a great great verse. Proverbs 25:11, like apples of gold in setting of silver is a word spoken in the right circumstance. A word spoken in the right circumstances. Do you realize that the words you and I use define people? It helps define people. Some of you are here today because someone defines you in a negative way and you bought into that. But the opposite is also true. As I was reading and doing some things for this message, I came across a story about a, a parent when their child would mess up. Instead of saying, you always do that, that's who you are, that type of thing, The parent would look and they would simply say this, that's just not like you. That's just not like you. What are they doing? They're defining their child. That's not who you are. That's somebody different. And the child would realize, no, that's not who I am. I need to do the right thing rather than this wrong thing. Our words have the power to define people. In fact, that's the fill in, the fill in the next fill in the blank. You can help define others by what they can become. And I've given you that little phrase. That's just not like you. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in the right circumstances. The next filling goes like this. The road away from destructive directions always starts by getting someone liberated from what they are like right now what can change when we begin to ask this question when a teacher focuses on what a student can become rather on what he or she is the future is liberated from the past and one of the persons that I admire so much who did an incredible job with this was my wife Janie she was a first grade teacher over at Hilltop Elementary School for 17 years and when they would, she would come home and she would talk about the next year coming up and how they would sit and talk about the students and where they're going to place the students in the next grade. And they would talk about, you know, this child and the, the kindergarten teachers, they, this child's a behavior problem, this child is this, this child has this negative trait in their life. And so often those children would wind up in Janie's class. And, I, you know, I found out very early in her teaching career, I'm going to hear about these kids every day of my life when I go home, so I need to know who she's talking about. So I would volunteer on her class on Fridays for a couple of hours so I could get to know these kids, you know, who are these kids she's talking about type of thing. And I would go into her class. I've heard about these kids who are behavior problems from the previous year, and I would go into her class the first of the year, and I'd come home and I'd say, now, who are the behavior problems? I, I didn't see any behavior problems. What, what's the deal? And she said, they're not behavior problems. And she would, because of how she would treat them and what she would see in them, how she would respond to them, they weren't behavior problems. But somebody saw them as they were, not as how they could be. What an incredible difference that can make in a person's life. When a business focuses on what it can become rather than what it has been, a new and exciting opportunities usually can be pursued. When a church, when a church focuses on what it can become rather than what it is, fresh vision can lead to a better future. When a weekend out-of-shape warrior catches a glimpse of what he or she can become rather than what they are, so to speak, they have the energy and the desire to finally get in shape. It's a powerful question. What can happen when we begin to ask that simple, simple question? What can it become? Look at this fill in. What can this become is the only question that leads a person to catch fresh vision. To catch fresh vision. If you want people to have a better future, help them to focus on the things that they can become, not what they are now. Oswald Chambers, some of you may have read a book by this gentleman. He made this statement. Beware of spending too much time looking back at what you once were when God wants you to become something that you have never been. What a beautiful way to say, don't just look at what you are. Look at what God wants you to become. And then look at this little diagram. Look at this diagram. It says fresh vision. And by the way, when we ask that question, you know, what can I become? What can he become? What can she become? What can our marriage become? The answer is always fresh vision. And fresh vision leads to encouragement. Encouragement leads to hope. Hope leads to change. And change leads to better days ahead. Better days ahead. The benefits of asking this question, what can it become, are numerous. Let me just very quickly in our remaining time, let me give you five benefits just of asking this question, what can this become? Benefit number one is passion that replaces apathy and discouragement passion that replaces apathy and discouragement one of the things I love about our church I love the activity I mean this place is used seven days a week morning afternoon and nights I mean there's always stuff going on here type of thing and I I drive up sometimes I'm going like what's what's going on today I don't even know anymore which is awesome I love that but one of the things I love I love I love I love every morning is to see our tiny tots children to see those little children walking out to the playground, holding each other's hands. It's like an elephant train. You know, they just walk. I mean, it you just, you just, just makes your day go better to see our little Tiny Tots kids. And sometimes they'll do their, their little devotions. And, and every once in a while, I get to go in and speak to the children. And if you ask them a question, if I went in and asked the Tiny Tots, I said, how many of you in here can sing? How many would raise their hands? Every one of them. I can't sing. If I ask, you know, I said, well, what can you sing? What would they say? Well, Everything. What if you don't know the words? I'll just make them up. I mean, you know, just how hey, you can do that. If I ask you their little tiny touches, how many of you can draw? Everyone would do what? They can raise their hands. Ask that same group of children 25 years later. How many of you can sing? One, two maybe? How many of you can draw? One or two? What happened to stomp out that God-given spark? What happened? The second law of thermodynamics. Aren't you impressed that we would talk about the second law of thermodynamics in church? I mean, this, wow. I mean, we just took it up a notch here. The second law of thermodynamics states that there is a natural tendency of any isolated system to degenerate into a more disordered state. One of our engineers walking out today said, you know, Pastor Russ, that's the law of atrophy. I said, brother, I'm all over that. I know because that was the point. Look what happens. You ever go to Boston and you walk that freedom trail and you go by some of the cemeteries of some of the men and women who are the founding fathers of our country. You see their tombstones. But some of the tombstones, because it's just been sitting there out in in the open, you can't read the dates anymore because the elements have just caused it to deteriorate over time. It's just sitting there. The same thing can happen in a marriage. Seven years ago, they got married. They were on fire. Now they're just waiting for the last few sparks to go out. New Christian enters into a relationship with Jesus. They're just passionate about that relationship. Three years later, you don't even know if they're at church anymore. Same thing can happen to a church. They start with passion and momentum. It's so easy just to drift into Apathy. Newton's first law of motion. This is getting impressive right now. Newton's first law of motion. Here it is an object at rest stays at rest, and an object in motion stays in motion with the same speed and in the same direction, unless it's acted upon by an unbalanced force. Here's what I want you to get we got to get motion. We got to get motion. Don't stay still. You got to get motion. And passion creates motion, it creates improvement. You say, I need to get moving. Yeah. How do I do that? You start by asking the question, what can this become? What can this relationship become? What can my job become? What can this person become? That begins to create passion and motion and improvement in our lives. Look at the feeling. All of us need individuals in our lives who believe that we can become far more than we ourselves think is possible. If I ask you to think back as you were growing up, maybe it was a teacher. And somebody walking out today. Stopped me and told me about one of their college professors. About what one of their college professors said to them. And she still remembers it today. And it really influenced her life. I guarantee you every one of us can stop and think of something. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was your parent. But somebody who said something. They saw something in you beyond just what you were. What you could become. And it really has stayed with you all that time. Boy, there was a man whose story is found in the New Testament portion of the Bible. He definitely, he definitely. (laughs) He needed a new passion in life. His name was Paul this was a jewish man hebrew man he was educated in the the very best education you could get in that day and time In our day we'd say he went to harvard or stanford type of a deal he was a a jew who lived about the same time of jesus and after he graduated so to speak he hooked up or began working with a group of people called the pharisees they were one of the strictest religious groups jewish groups around man they kept every rule every law and his ultimate job working for them he persecuted christians He hunted out Christians and he would sometimes have them killed. He would sometimes have them put in jail. That was his job. He had special permission from the Roman government to do this. That's his job. But in a dramatic encounter with Jesus Christ one day, his life turned around. He became a Christian. And after he became a Christian, he went to Jerusalem and he wanted to associate with the other believers in Jerusalem. Here's what happened. This is in Acts chapter 9, verse 26 and 27. It's on your outline. It says, when he saw, that was his Hebrew name, his Greek name was Paul, Saul, Paul, same thing. When he saw, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. Can you blame them? If somebody from ISIS, a known person associated with ISIS, came to you and said, hey, I'm a Christian now, can I join your Bible study? What would you say? There's one that meets on Tuesday nights that's better. <laughs> hey! Hey! I mean, I would be skeptical too type of a thing. And so they were going like, no, no, no. But one person, one person back in that day and time saw something in Paul, not of who he was, but who he could be. His name was Barnabas and here's what happened. But Barnabas took him and he brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. That's when he kind of made this change in his life how he encountered Jesus. And then how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them. Because one person saw what he could become and what God was doing in his life. I want to tell you something. I'm so glad he did because if that had not happened and Paul maybe went a different route, about half of the New Testament wouldn't be there anymore because he wrote it. The churches that he started all throughout the Mediterranean world and sharing the good news of Jesus with people who were not Jewish, with non-Jews, that wouldn't be there if it wasn't for Barnabas implementing this principle here's benefit number two you can experience great comebacks when you ask this question what can this become you can experience great comebacks if you would every great comeback in history begins with fresh vision every great comeback in history begins or began with great vision and what I want you to understand this morning it's not where you start it's really not even where you are now it is what you can become it's what you can become. Let me give you some examples from the Bible of biblical com- comebacks. Some of you will be familiar. These names will be familiar with some of you. It, it, the name Jonah, Jonah in the well guy type of deal. Jonah started out running away from God, but he em- wound up influencing a whole metropolitan area. Moses, most of us have heard Moses, the Ten Commandments. Moses did nothing significant in the first two-thirds of his life. That gives encouragement for some people right there. He did nothing the first two-thirds of his life. And then he ended up delivering two million people out of slavery. Wow, pretty cool. A man named Jacob, he's the guy who started out as a liar and a cheater. He wound up becoming a leader. John Mark, a guy we read, remember Mark, one of the guys who wrote about the life story of Jesus? He started out as a quitter. He left in the middle of a missionary journey, just went back home. But he wound up being used of God to write one of the four stories of the life of Jesus. Peter started out as an arrogant, loudmouth who threw Jesus under the bus when it came pressure time. But he wound up being a great leader of the Christian church. Great comeback stories always begin with a fresh vision. It's not where you start. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 3, here's where we see Paul, of all people, he needed a a comeback in life, so to speak, from where he was And it says this, and Saul approved of their killing him. This is referring to Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Paul was there. He was stoned to death for his faith in Jesus Christ. And Saul approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, who was was, uh, martyred. And they mourned deeply for him. But notice this about Saul. Saul began to what? Uh, the church? Destroy. That was a job. That was his passion at that time in his life. He began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. But asking the question, not what is, but what can I become? A comeback can occur. And one certainly occurred in Paul's life. Benefit number three, grace frees you. It frees you, and then future vision fuels you. Grace is simply that God has done something for you and me that we couldn't deserve, something that we don't deserve, we couldn't, can't earn, and that is by giving Jesus Christ, who ultimately gave his life on a cross and died so that we could have a relationship with God because he dealt with our sins because we couldn't do that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. This is on your outline. It's on the screen. I want us to read this verse together. I believe not understanding what this verse teaches is the number one reason why many people never come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let's read it out loud together. For it is by God's grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not the result of your own efforts, but God's gift so that no one can boast about it. You know what I run into people all the time? They're trying to earn their way to God. They're trying to earn their way to God. You can't do that because you'd have to be perfect, and you're not, and I'm not, and we can't do that. It's through what Jesus did for us through grace and accepting that gift that he's given to us that we have a relationship with God. So it is grace that frees us. But notice this, it is future vision that fuels us, future vision that fuels us. So the fill in the blank goes like this. Grace frees us from the chains of our past. It frees us from the change of our past. But vision fuels us to reach something better out ahead. Something better out of head. Romans 8.1, this is a verse we've looked at in this series already. It says, there is no condemnation for those who are in union with Christ Jesus. If you're in a relationship with Jesus, there should not be massive amounts of guilt in your life. He came to take that away from you. And then notice what the wisdom writer in Proverbs 29.18 says. Where there is no vision, the people what? No vision of a better day ahead. No vision of what something can become. The people perish. Grace frees us, but vision, future vision fuels you. And then notice this fill in the blank. Some people get freed, but they're not fueled. In other words, they have hurts and and disappointments in their life. They're able to work through those, but then the remainder of their life, they just kind of meander through life, and they're really not excited about anything. On the other hand, there are others who are fueled, but they are not freed. These are people who have strong desires, strong passions, to, and they see them begin to take shape, but then something in the past begins to hold them back and, and anchor them in place. When someone finally focuses on what they become, they're suddenly free. And, and all of a sudden, hope replaces guilt. Encouragement overpowers disencouragement, and with the chains off, they can be dreaming about a better future ahead, a future they can actually start building upon. And so I guess I say that to say this to you. Look at this, fill in the blank. Don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to put feet on your prayers. I don't know where I heard this, but I love it, and I say it quite often. I'd rather try something and fail than do nothing and succeed. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, when Paul had this dramatic encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians there, and his life kind of flipped around, God came to a guy named Ananias, a Christian in Damascus, and he said, "I want you to go, and I want you to go to Paul." And, and Ananias said, "I don't want to go to that guy. I mean, he's going, he's going to arrest me and kill me." And God said to Ananias, here's God's message for him. Here's the fresh vision, if you would, that would free Paul. Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. God gave it and had a plan. He had a vision for his life. For his grace freedom, and a vision fueled Paul for the rest of his life. Benefit number four, when you ask the question, what can this become? You are set free to dream. You're set free to dream. People basically fall into five categories when it relates to dreaming. You're not, these are not on your outline. I'm just going to very quickly just say these. First of all, there are those with no dreams no dreams whatsoever. Many basically have one goal in life. You know, I just want to get through the day. It's kind of like when the person asked somebody, like, where are you headed? Like, where are you headed with your life? And the person responded to lunch. You know, that's kind of where they were. just, you know, just let me make it through the day. That was their dream. There are those who have a low dream. No real challenges in their life. They usually wind up settling for next to nothing, so to speak. Or they're very selfish. My goal is to make a lot of money and retire. There are those with the wrong dream. Many, many people have tremendous talent and ability and potential, and they give that first-class allegiance to second-class causes. What's really the outcome of what you're giving your life to? And then there are those with a vague dream, those who just kind of look at this idea of a dream is kind of a misty thing, it's not really well-defined type of a thing, it's not in sharp focus. It's got to be in sharp focus for you to really move on it. Did you know by the ripe old age of 12, Jesus knew what his purpose in life was? There was a time where Jesus and his family went to Jerusalem for a religious festival, and they went with a large crowds of people would travel back in that day and time. And so when they left, they thought Jesus was with them, but they were just playing with some other boys. They realized they got down the road that Jesus wasn't there, and they had to go back to Jerusalem. They found him in the temple talking to the religious leaders, dialoguing, 12-year-old boy talking to religious leaders. And his parents found him and said, "What what are you doing here? And he simply replied, I must be about my father's business. He knew at the age of 12 what he was doing. And then at the end of his life, you know what his last words were? It is finished. I want to tell you something. You cannot say at an early age, this is what my life's about. But you can't say at the end, it is finished unless you know exactly what you're there for. Jesus did. He had a, not a vague vision, but he had a vision from God. Then the last one is this. This is a fill in the blank. Those with God's dream. Those with God's dream. God has inspired you. God has put something on your heart. Maybe you've read Scripture and got burdened about something. Maybe it's just the Spirit of God working in you, and there are other believers in your life that are pointing and saying, hey, that's you, you need to go for it. How do you you know that your dream's from God? Let me give you these three quick checkpoints. First of all, is the dream God honoring? Is the dream God honoring? Second of all, will this dream change lives and influence people? Will it change lives and influence people? And then number three, does this dream resonate with godly, visionary people? An interesting story in Paul's life that they had tried to carry the good news of Jesus into one certain region in the Mediterranean world. And they kept running into these roadblocks. It just wasn't happening. And then it tells us in Acts 16, it says, that night Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. When you're set free to dream, God will work in and through your life. And then benefit number five is this. When I ask the question, what can this become? It produces forward momentum that stabilizes and energizes. It stabilizes and it energizes. You see, asking this, what things can become, it gives you two things. It gives you hope, and it gives you a future, which is over and over again what God says he has for us in our lives. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, God says this, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And then Paul, as he neared the end of his life, he's in a prison, doesn't know if he's going to live or doesn't know if he's going to walk free. He says this, "Do you're talking about stability in your life? Listen to what he said. For me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more faithful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and I long to be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Man, you get that, that mindset in your life. There's stability, but there's also incredible energy as well. As we wrap up this morning, if you're here and you feel defeated, discouraged about your life, if your desire is to move to a higher level, if you would, a higher level to live. There's no more powerful strategy than to focus on what you can become rather than what you are. So do your future a favor. Here's the last fill in the blank. Give preference to what you can become not what is. Give preference to what to become. Give that preference over what is. If you do that and you do it consistently, your future will thank you for it. Let's close in prayer this morning. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving us hope. Thank you so much that you have a plan for our future, a plan to do good things in our lives, good things through our lives, God. And again, I would pray for anyone here this morning who is discouraged, maybe over their personal life, maybe over their marriage, maybe over their finances, maybe over their job, that God they would begin to ask this question this week What can this become? What can this become? And that, God, that you would work in each of our lives to begin to bring hope to us. Help us to take concrete steps of what something can become, not just what something is. And, God, as we do that, would you honor us as we seek to try to honor you by helping us along the way, day by day. Would you increase that hope within us? And, Father, would you do great things not only in our lives but through our lives that really make a difference as well. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Russ.
1: Now we come to that time in our service where we take a, a, our tithes and our offerings, and simply what that is, we give back just a portion of what God has given to us. If this is your first time with us today here at New Hope, this isn't for you, this is for our regular tenders and our members, but we've got these baskets right down front here, so we just want to ask if you guys want to grab those baskets and just start passing them around the back. We've got one more basket just right here in front, and uh, uh, we just want to make sure, we just don't want to... Have any of you missed the blessing of giving, all right? And then once you've given, everybody, feel free to stand on up. we got a song for you right now. And this is for anybody out there who's discouraged today, who's in need of hope. I want you to know that you are loved today. Head no full How can you measure up to deserve affection, to ever be enough for this existence? When did it get so hard? Your heart is beating, alive and breathing, and there's a reason why. You are essential, not accidental, and you should be your life. You are beloved, I want you to know, you are beloved, let it sink into your soul, oh, oh. look the lies you've heard, Was above the heart, and listen to these words, you are beloved. I'll Sometimes the heart can feel like a heavy weight. It pulls you under and you just fall away. Is anybody gonna hear you call? go under, under the surface and you don't have to try out let me remind you that love will find you let it live to out sing it. you, you abelove you to know you are abelove And listen to these words. You are And listen to these words You are beloved We want you to know You are beloved God bless you, New Hope. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday. I kicked the connection apart. Can we just make sure you still got keys?